0: Hello, and thank you for joining the podcast, Emergency Minute. Your host is an emergency medicine physician who brings over 20 years of experience in healthcare. Dr. Parente will take you through some of the trending topics and challenges faced in the ER and all of healthcare. Join in the fight against misinformation, and don't forget to follow on social media at Dr. J Parente. Now, here's your host, Dr. John Parente. Cheers, everyone. Welcome back to Emergency Minutes, Episode 4. Why does my ER visit take so long? Again, I have to say thank you to the supporters of the show who listened last week where we discussed fever. So if you haven't checked that out, please do so. Today's show is actually sponsored by IWishIHadASponsored.com, so be sure to check them out. I've heard they're pretty amazing. So why does it take so damn long to get through a visit in the emergency department? This could literally be a multiple-hour show. But for the sake of not losing both of my listeners, I'm going to shorten that up. In just a few minutes on this podcast. Now, you're probably asking, what qualifications do I have in order to give this talk? Well, besides being a board-certified ER physician for 15 years, completing an EM-trained residency, that's another three years. I actually do have a lot of experience as a director. I've spent the better part of a decade being a director and being in charge of the throughput of two different emergency departments. And I've also had formal training by a company called Studer, which basically specializes in throughput from the emergency department, uh, sort of using a lot of lean processes and things like that. I went to a national training and learned quite about this and then implemented it at my shop. You see, processes in the emergency department are similar to just about any other business model out there. In order to get in and out of an ER, you have the front end, you have processes in the middle, and then you have the back end. So the analogy I like to make is a Mexican restaurant, especially because they seem to do it so well. How quickly can I be seated? How long does it take my food to be prepared and then brought out? And then finally, the checkout process. So with front-end hurdles, we have the horrible, outdated, extremely inefficient triage room. Anyone who's ever worked with me knows how much I hate this concept. Why? Because it doesn't work. It's a giant bottleneck. Imagine if a bus crashed into the hospital and we got 50 patients all at once. Would we simply just create this bottleneck and only evaluate all 50 of them one by one? Even if we were able to do this very quickly, let's say three minutes per patient, that's nearly three hours to process and triage all 50 patients. And oh, by the way, that's assuming that no one else needs to be seen in that three-hour window, which is not realistic. So what most hospitals do now is something called pull-to-full, which is exactly what it sounds like. You pull the patient back from the waiting room until the ER is full, and then you use the triage room. This allows for multiple nurses, medics, and staff to bring multiple patients back and make that process much more efficient. So this really isn't that hard, and this is the standard for how all ERs should be run. If you go to a hospital that doesn't do this, you may want to reconsider, as this is pretty much the standard of flow at this point. So what happens when you get brought back? Well, ideally, you have the bedside triage, and the patient can give their history to the provider and the nurse at one time. Again, a fairly simple concept that prevents the patient from having to tell their story multiple times. Now, this doesn't always happen with so many things that are going on simultaneously in the emergency department, but this should be the goal of your ER. So as you can see, the front-end challenges really aren't that hard. So let's look at the challenges that arise during your visit. Much of what happens while you're sitting in the room is beyond the control of the emergency department. And I think that's my take-home message. Like, for example, when you get blood work done, we have very little control over how quickly the labs are being resulted. What if the machine goes down? One of them is broken. One of them needs to be rebooted. These things happen all the time, and they cause delay. Then there's radiology. How quickly is the x-ray, CAT scan, ultrasound done? How long does it take to do it? And then how quickly does the radiologist read the study? This is often one of the biggest delays in the ER. Like the rest of the world, the radiologists are doing more and more with less and less, and they are short-staffed too, especially if you come to the ER after hours. Many hospitals are using teleradiology services that cover like multiple hospitals across the country. These big services make a lot of sense for the radiologists because they can kind of sit in their little hole in Hawaii And they can cover multiple places at once and work for this big company, and they can basically look at these studies all over the world. But it sucks for the local ERs because there's these massive delays that happen, and then there's no backup plan. I've waited as long as four or five hours for a reading, and that's no joke. And that's not uncommon, unfortunately. But what do people say? Oh, my ER visit took so long. It's not always the ER. So I say this all the time. Healthcare is broken. This is the perfect evidence for that. The good news is most ER docs are more than capable of reading their own plain film x-rays. But when it comes to something like an intricate finding on a CT or an ultrasound, this really should be read by a board-certified radiologist. And then there's the urine. Dear God, I hate the urinalysis. It's one of the few tests that we do that is completely dependent upon the patient doing something in order for us to get a result. With blood, we go get it. With x-rays, imaging would just take you over to the departments and we'll get the pictures done. But a urinalysis is dependent upon the patient having to pee. And I'll tell you what, I don't believe in ghosts, but there must be some sort of spirit that travels around city by city and visits people who are about to go to the ER and makes them take a piss. It's unbelievable. And it happens all the time. I can't tell you how many times I walk out of a room and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get some blood work. We're going to get some CAT scans and we're going to need you to pee because we're going to check your urinalysis and go about our day. And as I'm walking out the door, but doc. I just peed before I came. So I think the take home is if you're about to come to the emergency department and you're having symptoms, belly pain, vomiting, whatever it may be, just know that there's a good chance we're going to need that urine sample. And also for the love of God, please don't pee in a jar and bring it in. I could do an entire podcast on things patients have brought in and took pictures of and they want to show me like, nope, I believe you. I'm sure you did pass a blood clot as big as a cheeseburger from your anus. I don't need to see it. I digress. All right, finally, let's look at the back-end hurdles. This applies mostly to patients being admitted or transferred out of the ER. Because if you're simply there as what we call a treat and street, meaning you get an injured ankle, you get an x-ray, we put a splint on it, and then you go home, that process is usually fairly simple. Now, not all hospitals are created equal, so keep that in mind. But for something that simple, you're not usually waiting that long for a discharge, unless something catastrophic happens within the department. If you want to hear more about The admit and the transfer crisis, I would definitely recommend you take a listen to Emergency Minute, episode two on the boarding and transfer crisis at your hospital. That was a lot of fun talking about some of the challenges that we're facing right now getting patients moved between hospitals and how a lot of these patients that end up admitted are being boarded in the emergency department. So, for patients being admitted to the hospitals, it's just a matter of calling the admitting physician, assuming they call back in a timely fashion, awaiting for a bed upstairs in the hospital, if there is a bed or if there's a nurse to care for the patient in that bed then waiting for that room to be cleaned assuming the short staffed cleaning staff is able to clean that room and then having the nurses connect and call report that's if the short staffed floor floor nurses are available then awaiting for a transporter to take the patient to the room if your hospital even has a transporter or what that process looks like see so simple <laughs> You can see how this is a totally flawed system, right? And there's like any number of things that could go wrong and cause delays. And by the way, all of those things have absolutely nothing to do with the ER. I work at a hospital, in particular, no names please, where I typically wait one hour to talk to a physician whose only job is then to put me in touch with the real physician that's going to be admitting, the admitting service, and then guess how long it takes them to call me back? Another hour. So it's two hours. So even though I could have a patient seen worked up, labs resulted, treatment started in under an hour. I could be waiting multiple hours for a callback, then multiple hours for a bed assignment, transport, etc. But what does everyone say? What does everyone remember? Why did my ER visit take so damn long? Now, this next part is going to be brief, as it is going to get me in trouble. But I cannot possibly talk about delays in getting patients admitted without touching upon one of the biggest, massive flaws in how hospitals function. And that is the role of the house nursing supervisor. And this isn't just one place. And I'm not not naming any hospitals or anything like that. This is pretty universal. I refer to it as a paradigm because it's something that obviously doesn't make sense. It clearly doesn't work. And yet we all do it anyways because that's just how we've always done it. You see, hospitals empower the nursing supervisors to serve as the off valve for the rest of the hospital. If the third floor just got an admission, well we can't have a second one come up. We need to have the patient settled in first and wait 15, 30 minutes and then the nurses can call report. Well, what about the ER? We don't have an off valve. We can't turn the valve off. The patients just keep coming in through the front door and by EMS in droves. I remember a few weeks ago when a nursing soup told me she couldn't take another patient upstairs because of the nursing ratios. I said, "What about my nurses? My charge nurse. Is in charge right now, in triage, in fast track, and has eight assigned patients. How's that for a ratio? But unfortunately, if you empower this position to say no to simply create delays on the back end, you have created a massive bottleneck that impacts the entire emergency department. Now, for the sake of this podcast, I haven't even touched upon some of the other elements of delay. What if a critically ill patient comes in? Someone who is acutely, actively dying. This really brings the ER to a standstill. This occupies all resources, multiple nurses, staff, everybody trying to work together to save this person's life. What's crazy is that I can spend an hour trying to take care of a six-month-old who ends up dying, only to return to my desk, and I'm reminded that the ER doesn't stop. No one cares that I just coded a baby. They just care that now they've been waiting for an hour without any update. So now I have 20 pissed off patients who truly had an ER delay. I have to run around and see them while explaining in vague terms as possible because I can't violate HIPAA privacy laws and things like that. I can just say, I'm sorry, I was dealing with a critically ill patient. So as you can see, there's about 100 reasons why your ER visit takes so long, most of which aren't even controlled by the ER. My ask is it's your kind to your treatment team. I promise they're working as hard as anyone in healthcare. We are training in a direction that we have to do more and more and more with less and less and less. Just like much of the world, this truly is a broken system. But you know what? People who work in ERs are just wired differently. My nurses are freaking badasses and they get it done, period. The rest of the hospital shut it down and let everything fall on us in the ER because they know deep down we can handle it. We will figure it out. We will find a way to make sure our patients are getting the best care possible because that's what we do. It's who we are. It's in our DNA. So if you know someone that you think would enjoy the show, please remember to share this with them or leave a review. Share on social media. The only way I can get this information out there with a larger audience is by having the support of people like you. Sharing this, supporting on social media, Dr. J. Parente. Go give your family members and healthcare a big hug. It's been a rough couple of years. Join me next time for another inside look into healthcare as I continue my journey of trying to connect the real world with healthcare. And as always, peace, love, and happiness to all my brothers. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week on Emergency Minute. Join us next time for more hard-hitting discussions on some of today's issues in healthcare. Don't forget to leave us a review on Spotify or follow on social media at Dr. J Parente.